Welcome to Planet Sleep. I'm your host, Josh. And tonight, we're going to be taking our first expedition into space. We'll be visiting the moon in all of its glory. I hope you packed your moon boots because you're most certainly going to need them. Before we take off though, I wanted to tell you that Planet Sleep is brought to you by Higher Love Wellness. Higher Love Wellness is actually my CBD and wellness company. We provide a wide range of CBD products to help you relax, sleep better, or just take the edge off after a long day at work. All of our products are THC free, so you don't have to worry about a thing. You can check out Higher Love Wellness at higherlovewellness.com and all of my listeners get 10% off your order if you use code SLEEP at checkout. But let's go ahead and get inside our space shuttle and head to the moon. Beyond the small window of your cockpit, the darkness of space reaches on forever. Small fragments of light shine back from distant planets through the abyss of an unfamiliar journey, all framed within the gray modules of blinking monitors and switches aboard your starship. You are far from home, far from the canopy of trees, far from the green moss beside a gentle creek. You are now within the vacuum of space, where your closest water supply is brought to you by two systems of pressurized tanks on the lower deck of the ship. No gentle creek and no flowing river here. Rising into the bay of your small window comes a white, circular sheet of barren rock. Desolate and quiet. Before you there floats Luna in her near-perfect orbit around the Earth. Bright and high contrast against her darkest side, cut into a crescent by the shadow of the earth behind you, the moon. Neither asteroid nor planet, a place of emptiness and reflection. With pockmarks of scattered craters, each one different in size and shape, she stares back at you. Once caught within its pole, you feel its force upon you and your ship. 
You have entered the moon's strong yet gentle gravitational aura, and now you must commit to the descent towards its surface. What was once a small, beaming coin in the sky of a starry night at home, something mysterious beyond the portico, beyond the silhouette of an evergreen, is here before you in colossal mass, and only larger it grows the closer you get. The cabin goes dark as you approach. The thrusters activate against the pull of the moon, and the G-force moves your entire body, skin, stomach, blood against the captain's seat. The heat of the cockpit rises, and you begin to sweat, but fear is a distant stranger. Fear is an even further star than those you see beyond the moon. Here, you are calm and collected as you approach the surface. The moon has accepted you into her grace, and you are here to stay, at least for a while. From our earliest understandings of the moon, from Neolithic era, when fear and mystery orbited the small, shining dot in the sky opposite the sun, a shroud of mysticism covered our eyes. The moon changed its shape throughout the month, and every 29 and a half days, it was set anew completely black. It moved throughout the sky, usually in contrast with the sun, and rarely did they meet for an eclipse. Of what we once understood about the moon became nothing more than a myth and legend. Fear and worship was our only response. On the remote isle of Lewis in Scotland, a strange series of stones rest on a flat tract of land. From a people long gone, some thousands of years ago, this is what they have left behind as a symbol of their relationship with the moon. Known as the Standing Stones of Colonish, these series of upright rocks are believed to have a close relationship with the moon. At first glance, the positioning of the stones appear random across the grass. Yet after close and arduous study of the positioning, it has been discovered that once every 18 and a half years, 
the pathway of the moon coincides with the rocks. At the edge of the horizon, the moon begins its path, peaking just above the distant hillsides, beyond the scattered lakes and isles. One of the far hills resembles that of a woman lying on her back. The old woman of the moors, as she is known. This is where the moon first appears and soon vanishes beneath her. Yet tonight, the moon rises once again, and from the opposite side of the standing stones, it appears directly in the center of the stones. The sleeping woman, the stones positioning, and the moon's arrival had once become a blessing of fertility to those who witnessed the event. These Neolithic people may have been the first to understand the relationship between the moon, its 29 and a half day cycle, and the common time of a woman's fertility cycle. Believed by some to be a monument of the most extreme rising and setting points of the moon, the standing stones of Kalanish stand as a testament to the relationship of the Neolithic people, their moon, and their understanding of the universe around them. The moon's effect on life on Earth has yet to be fully understood. Its presence, especially when full, often resembled something wicked, something terrible was to come. From old folklore, men turn into beasts at the sight of a full moon. And even the word lunacy comes from the Latin word for the moon, luna. Yet, at the end of Galileo's telescope, we finally began to understand the moon beyond its shroud of myth folklore. As crude and simple as his first telescope was, he saw the moon, not as a simple, shifting ball of light or a harbinger of evil, but a cosmic presence whose surface was similar to Earth's. Ridges and textures sprinkle the moon where the light of the sun cast shadows behind craters. From then on, the mysteries of the moon were slowly uncovered. The mechanical feet of your ship's landing gear gently touch the moon's surface. Out of the window rests a rigid plane of white rock against the black sky. A cloud of dust billows from the underbelly of the starship and takes a moment to settle back down again. 
even the speck of dust, a small pebble, takes much longer to fall back to the surface compared to home. The gravitational force of the moon is 17% of what it is on Earth. Yet as you unbuckle yourself from the captain's chair, your body's acclimation to the freedom of space must adjust to being grounded once again. Wrapped in the bulbous yet agile spacesuit, you are now ready to open the bay doors and take your first steps onto the moon. With oxygen tanks filled, your suit mimics the atmosphere of Earth. Although a bit less for mobility purposes and with no need for nitrogen, you breathe pure oxygen for some time in order to avoid decompression sickness before adjusting to the pressure of the suit. Temperature regulation check passes with flying colors as you're ready to evade the extremely hot temperatures of the day and the frigid cold of the night. Your first day on the moon has begun and this one day on the moon equals roughly 29 Earth days. Hopefully you've packed enough for 29 breakfasts, 29 lunches, and 29 dinners for the long day here. Your day will be long, quiet, and peaceful. No man or woman has set foot on the moon since December 12th 1972. From the window you see the traces of past voyages. The shoe prints of previous astronauts freckle the surface of the moon, where soft dust lays in a large bed above the barren rock. A plastic bag rests near the gathering of footprints. None of the previous astronauts were required to pick up after themselves and their trails will forever be left behind on the moon, just as the craters. You leave the window, approach the exit, and pull at a large red lever. The mechanical inner workings of the starship door begin to churn, and the door opens from the top, Beyond the door, rigid outcroppings of moon rock layer the horizon in an otherwise deserted plain of desolation. Massive indentations model the surface where meteors have plummeted into the desert of the moon. And aside from you, Nothing makes a sound. Nothing moves. All you hear is the rhythmic cycle of breathing inside your helmet. 
the moon to the primitive eye is empty, naked, and desolate. Only rocks bear witness to the passing stars. During the six voyages of the Apollo missions, astronauts brought back a collection of 842 pounds of moon samples, rocks, core samples, pebbles, sand and dust were all collected across separate journeys in hopes of better understanding what our moon is made of, and more importantly, where it came from. Nearly 400 samples taken from the moon are distributed each year to different laboratories for testing. Many of these tests resulted in greater understanding of the moon's history. Thus, four and a half billion year old rocks have been found on the moon. Almost as old as our solar system, rocks like these have yet to be discovered on Earth. So the only way for these rocks to have been preserved means that the moon must have frozen for potentially billions of years to protect its ancient rock layers. For the moon to be this old, it begs the question, how? Was the moon formed? One theory suggests that the Earth and Moon formed around the same time, while another suggests that the Earth trapped the Moon with its gravitational force. By the study of these samples, we understand that neither of these ideas holds much water. The rocks found on the moon are far too different from the Earth's to suggest that they were formed at the same time. But also, both the Earth and the moon have too many similar properties for them to be two separate foreign bodies. This leads to a more logical explanation of the relationship between the Earth and the moon. Some four billion years ago, in a time when the earth was a hot, molten pot of darkened rock and red-hot magma traveling through the solar system. It was not alone in its orbit around the sun, and not the only celestial body along a similar path. Another hunk of rock the size of Mars was on another path within the system. By an act of fate, the two eventually crashed into one another, sending millions of tons of molten rock and gases into space. After the collision, one of these shards eventually became what we know today as the moon. This piece of detached molten rock eventually found its way into constant orbit around the Earth. As you step onto its surface and walk out into a clearing, you look over your shoulder to see the line of footprints in the dust leading back to your starship. And above the starship, there rests the giant blue planet from which you came. 
slowly turning with clouds breathing. A planet that is truly alive. It is nothing like it once was in the earliest days of molten rock and magma. The years have traded its old life of uninhabitable heat with a blue haven of water. And you stand on the fragment of a celestial body that once collided with Earth. You begin to wonder, what are the chances of a fragment this size finding its perfect orbit around its victim? And as you stand still for a moment and watch the earth pass by, or perhaps you pass by the earth, you wonder if the orbit is perfect after all. How can the remnant of a collision exist in such harmony? You turn back and continue your way across the desolate plain of the moon. You find that hopping with both feet is the most effective means of travel. And these long strides take you much farther than you thought possible. One hop after another, you travel across craters, ridges, and plains. When you look behind, Your starship has now disappeared beyond the horizon of the moon, and only a small crest of the earth peaks from behind. As far as you can see, there is no evidence of a moon base built by Jeff Bezos, at least not yet. In a field of dust, A series of footprints leads you to a glistening panel that rests on the dust-covered ground. A two-by-two-foot panel holds a series of a hundred mirrors, sitting alone, quietly. Although the most famous thing Neil Armstrong left on the moon was his footprint, this lunar laser-ranging retro-reflector array is arguably the most important. July 21st, 1969, about an hour before the end of their final moonwalk, Neil and Buzz left this reflector on the moon, and it continues to be the only science experiment on the moon still running to this day. Miraculously, this panel has survived for decades without being covered in moon dust or struck by a meteor, which the moon is frequently famous for. Its purpose is to ping the moon's surface with laser pulses and measure the distance between the Earth and the moon with incredible accuracy. The mirrors on the array are corner cube reflectors, and can return the laser pulse exactly where it came from. All they need is a simple photon.
With this, they measured the distance between the Earth and the Moon, and it's nearly 239,000 miles. Not only that, year after year the distance grows ever so slightly. The Moon slowly distances itself from the Earth at about 3.8 centimeters per year, which might not seem like a significant change, yet over time could have incredible consequences. Fall is busy, but HelloFresh recipes save time. You'd otherwise spend meal planning, shopping and chopping, so you can get back to what matters. HelloFresh's family-friendly menu is a big win for back-to-school season, with easy, delicious recipes for drama-free dinners. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, from vegetarian meals and calorie-smart choices to extra special gourmet options. There's something for everyone to enjoy, with recipes designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. Get better value with HelloFresh. They are over 30% cheaper than shopping at grocery stores, with pre-portioned ingredients that ensure you won't spend money on excess food that ends up going in the trash. HelloFresh offers the flexibility you need to easily customize your order on the app within minutes. Easily change your delivery day, food preferences, and plan size, or skip a week whenever you need to. HelloFresh makes my busy life much easier. Not having to plan a menu or go grocery shopping anymore leaves me with more time for my family. So why don't you try HelloFresh today? Go to hellofresh.com slash planetsleep14 and use code planetsleep14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. Again, go to hellofresh.com slash planetsleep14 and use code planetsleep14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. Because HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. Have you ever looked at the sky and wondered why the moon and the sun appear the same size? Curious as it is to see the two main attractions in our sky take up the same amount of space while everything else appears as small dots of light, well, This is explained by the incredible coincidence within the cosmos, due to the moon being 400 times smaller than the sun, and at the same time 400 times closer to the earth. This is the only reason we're able to experience a total solar eclipse, when the moon completely blocks out the sun, a mere coincidence of position, size, and orbit. From this perspective on the earth, This means that as the moon slowly moves away from the Earth each year, a total solar eclipse might not happen in the future. Amid a total solar eclipse, 
the sun is blocked. Daylight changes to dark, as if a heavy rain cloud appears overhead. If we were to look up at the sun during an eclipse, it would be blocked by the massive shield of our moon. Light is still able to sneak around the moon due to its corona, the outermost part of the sun's atmosphere. This aspect of the sun is 10 million times less dense than the sun itself, and typically impossible to see with the naked eye, except during a solar eclipse. Other small beads of light also slip by during an eclipse since the moon is not a perfect circle after being clobbered by meteors and other natural phenomena. The small ridges on its surface allow the sunlight to reach the earth through these solar valleys. We call these peaking spots of light at the outer rim, Bailey's beads. As these beads begin to fade, only one shaft of light remains at the edge of the moon. This is named appropriately the diamond ring. The last bit of direct sunlight. And once this final bead disappears, it is safe to view the total eclipse without eye protection, but only for a moment. Not only is the event of a solar eclipse an incredible phenomenon to experience, but its precisely timed events have also helped historians date certain historical events with precision. Mentions of a solar eclipse with an ancient text of the Near East have contributed to piecing together the chronology of certain events throughout the years. At the time, without understanding a solar eclipse as we do today, for ancient peoples, this event was incredibly confusing and worrisome. An eclipse was often seen as a bad omen, a premonition of terrible things to come. They had not appeased the gods, made their sacrifices, or prayed enough. Some form of a higher being was believed to be upset. Eclipses were taken so seriously that over 4,000 years ago, during the Zha dynasty of China, the king Zhang Kang supposedly beheaded two of his astronomers who failed to predict a solar eclipse. Even battles within ancient Greece have abruptly ended at the event of an eclipse. The soldiers put down their weapons and declared peace as they believed the eclipse was a sign from a much higher power. Only myth and speculation were available at the time, and it wasn't until 1706 when the first observation of a solar eclipse through a telescope had occurred, and we finally started our journey on understanding what was happening beyond our world. 
Was there some mystical power at play? Or was it simply the trajectory of star and moon that aligned with our perspective on the Earth? After our first telescopic viewing, just nine years later, astronomer Edmund Haley accurately predicted and observed a solar eclipse on May 3rd. 1715. And from then on, an eclipse was no longer seen as a sign from God, but a cosmic coincidence within our vast solar system. We can now accurately predict not only every instance of a solar eclipse, but also the pathways of the umbra and penumbra shadows the moon will cast onto the earth. The umbra being the smaller, darker shadow where the total eclipse can be viewed under, and the penumbra the larger, less intense shadow. Within the penumbral pathway, only a partial eclipse can be seen. And we can also track where the umbral shadow will move across the earth, called the path of totality, where people flock from across the globe in order to see a once-in-a-lifetime view of the moon perfectly blocking the sun. Not only is this a once-in-a-lifetime view, tragically, this view only exists within a small time frame on the infinite cosmic calendar. And as the moon slowly moves away from the earth, a total solar eclipse will become history. This is all determined by the small two-by-two panel that Neil and Buzz left behind on the surface of the moon all those years ago. A way to measure our distance and also a way to measure what we take for granted. As you finish your sharpie drawing of a smiley face on the side of the white reflective panel, you recall a bit of history. These footprints that cluster around the panel are in fact the footprints left behind by Neil and Buzz all those years ago, as pristine as the day they were imprinted into the moon dust. Now your own footprints join theirs in history. And this very ground was the same ground where they first landed during their Apollo 11 mission, the very first manned mission to the moon. The land you now stand on is the Sea of Tranquility.
dark splotch upon the surface, one of many, a sea, yet not a drop of water to be seen. This lunar mare is a massive bed of basalt, a type of volcanic rock formed by ancient volcanoes some three and a half billion years ago. This massive bed of rock is speckled with several craters and similar to the rest of the moon. It appears desolate and barren. As you cross the sea, Out at the far edge, a lone flag stands tall, one of seven upon the moon. Six placed by the United States astronauts and one by a Chinese astronaut. As you approach, hopping along the plains of basalt, you expect to see the familiar red, white, and blue flag. The indelible image of the burly white spacesuit Placing the first flag comes to mind. Yet this flag looks more like a burly white astronaut and less like the familiar red, white, and blue. Whiter than the moon dust surrounding it, the flag has become white from radiation. The power of the sun has stripped it of all color. The threads remain for the most part intact with a bit of deterioration over the years and the horizontal mechanism meant to hold the flag up still held its own, yet its color has completely disappeared. From the Sea of Tranquility, you make your way westward across the moon. As you leave the flat bed of the sea, you note the land here is rigid, chiseled by millions of craters that have formed the shape of the moon's surface over the billions of years of its existence. These craters, of a variety of sizes, cover the entire moon and contribute to what makes up its face, or the man on the moon. Some have worn down over the years, but some are fresh and defined. Neither make your journey across the moon easy. In a tiny bed of basalt, a curious looking moon rock The size of a golf ball sits alone. Its surface is much brighter than that of the other moon rocks surrounding you. And its shape is almost a perfect sphere. Its sheen gently reflects the light of the sun, and it appears somewhat out of place. As you approach, you reach down and pick up the rock in your hand. You roll it around where you see the words, Titleist, Printed on its surface. And that's when you realize, wait, this is in fact a golf ball.
Despite Arnold Palmer's impressive golf playing abilities, not even he could drive a golf ball to the moon. You stumbled upon this particular golf ball because the American astronaut, Alan Shepard, on the Apollo 14 mission, decided to practice his golf swing while visiting the moon. He must have needed a confidence booster as his shot would have gone much farther with the handicap of the moon's weak gravitational pull compared to the Earth's. In February of 1971, the three astronauts of the Apollo 14 mission reached the moon. Yet only two of them visited the surface and played golf. The third, Stuart Rusa, remained in solo orbit inside the command module, Kitty Hawk, for 33 hours. With him, he carried 500 seeds of various trees, Loblolly pine, sycamore, sweetgum, redwood, and Douglas fir. He took these seeds to space, intending to study the effect, if any, that space would have on them. None of them were placed on the moon. They were all returned to Earth and planted in various spots around the United States, where 420 seedlings successfully germinated. And as a control, many of them were planted beside seeds that had never left Earth. And after decades, many of the moon trees still live on. And there is no discernible difference between the moon seeds and those that never left planet Earth. Aside from the tree seed experiment, Rusa continued with other research aboard the Kitty Hawk, as well as photographing the moon, including the site where Apollo 16 would eventually land. After their mission of carrying seeds, collecting rocks, and hitting golf balls, the Apollo 14 team successfully lifted off the lunar surface, docked with Stuart Roos's vessel, and made their way back to Earth, splashing down into the cold waters of the Pacific Ocean. All in all, Apollo 14 was a much more successful mission than their predecessors of the Apollo 13 mission, which never landed on the moon and barely made its way back to Earth. You place the golf ball in the front pouch of your spacesuit and continue through the highlands of the moon. Much different than the seas, which are darker and lower, the highlands offer a brighter vista, giving the noticeable contrast to the moon, even from the view from Earth. The highlands are called terrae, from the Latin word terra meaning earth or land, and the dark plains of the sea are Maria, from the Latin word 
Mar, meaning sea. Since early astronomers believed that the darker plains of the moon were seas filled with water, the highlands are much older than the seas, which explains why more craters burden their land. Reaching the edge of the highlands, you look out at the great mare beyond. Long, vast, and punctured with sparse craters, each one accented by the intense angle of the sun. The dark basalt rock fills the land, rock that was once flowing magma from the pools of ancient volcanoes that once spangled the entire moon. Evidence of these once great volcanoes are near impossible to notice after billions of years of inactivity. Yet the subtle undulations of the land give away some of their locations. These colossal tracks of lunar lava plains cover the moon from head to toe, most obviously seen in the lunar seas. The dark basalt, similar to the same rock found on Earth, is a fine-grained igneous rock formed by the rapid cooling of lava rich in magnesium and iron. It's typically found at the surface of any given planet and is one of the cosmic components that link many planets together. This type of rock also covers Venus and Mars, as well as the asteroid Vesta. Of a solar system so expansive and separated by billions of miles, we have uncovered the connection of rock between planets. This may point to a similar history among the planets of our very own solar system. As for the volcanoes of the moon, almost all of them have been extinct for roughly one billion years. But in the years they were active, their most active era being roughly three billion years ago, the intense volcanic activity of the moon created most of the lunar lava plains we see today. Some volcanoes persisted until about 50 million years ago. And although no known active volcanoes exist on the moon today, there may still be magma traveling and oozing underneath its surface. In the late 1600s, Galileo thought the lava plains were seas, hence their name, but were later compared by a British chemist to the similarities of the Phlegrian fields of Italy, where a large volcano currently rests to the west of Naples. On the opposite side of Naples, the eastern side, lies the infamous Mount Vesuvius which once destroyed four Roman cities in one single volcanic eruption. The volcanoes of the moon were possibly once as violent as those found on Earth, 
yet with no human to witness them. Aside from the impact of meteors, volcanic activity is the predominant process that modified the surface of the moon. Much of the surface has been preserved by freezing temperatures as well as the moon having a lack of tectonic plates. Much of the volcanic activity occurred on the near side of the moon, facing the Earth, so these lava plains could be studied by early astronomers with archaic telescopes. The Phlegrian fields are similar to the surface of the moon in the fact that they both have low bowl-like depressions throughout the landscape, and both were formed by volcanic activity. Because early astronomers had no access to the technologies of today, many of them speculated what the moon was, where it came from, and how it operated, all through the lens of a telescope. Where some of the speculations were accurate, such as the similarities with the Phlegrian fields, others were not so much. One such speculation claimed that meteorites were volcanic projectiles ejected from the lunar craters of the moon. So while some of the studies were fruitful, some were more mythological than fact. Some were mere mistakes and yet others were intentionally ridiculous. In 1835, with nothing better to do than rile up the common man about the mysteries of the moon, astronomer Sir John Herschel was falsely attributed with writing a series of six articles published in the sun that spoke of wild discoveries made on the moon. And this would come to be known as the great moon hoax. He reported that the moon was indeed inhabited by bison, goats, unicorns, upright walking beavers, and bat-like humanoids who built temples across the surface. In fact, trees, oceans, and beaches cover the moon as well. All of these observations were reportedly made through an incredible telescope operated by Herschel himself. As it turned out, the moon was similar to Earth yet far stranger and more exciting. After the sixth and final article, the author reported that the telescope was unfortunately destroyed by the power of the sun being concentrated through the lens, causing a massive fire that burned down the observatory. The popularity of this hoax, after it went on for weeks and weeks, ad nauseum established The Sun as a successful newspaper that ran for another 15 years in New York City. Today, there remains an argument 
of who wrote the articles. And Edgar Allan Poe had claimed that the hoax was a plagiarism of his short story. The Unparalleled Adventure of One Hand's Fall. Despite the spread of misinformation escalated by these articles over the weeks of 1835, the silver lining of its lunacy is that the interest of the common man in regards to the moon escalated as well. The collective consciousness truly wanted to know what was on the moon, although the factual discoveries eventually made were not as interesting as bat-like humanoids, the discoveries made have told us much about not only the history of the moon, but the history of the earth. Circling back to your starship, its aerodynamic body glistens with the same sheen of your newly found decades old Titleist golf ball. After your time here on the moon, after witnessing the newest residuals of mankind that have been left behind, as well as the four billion year old structures of the lunar surface that have remained for years, it is time to return home. From the starship's cabin, you retrieve your nine iron. You place the golf ball on a small mound on the ground. And with the best form you can muster within your spacesuit, you hit the ball out towards the edge of the sea of tranquility, where you think the white flag might be. The small white dot travels so high and so far, it becomes another star in the blinking sky, and you never see it land. You return to the entrance of your ship and seal the door with the red lever. Once in the cockpit, you fire up the ignition and the onboard lights come alive. The hum of the engine vibrates your captain's chair. Out of the window, the dark side of the moon approaches. Your day on the moon is almost at its end. And once the cabin is pressurized, you take a sip of water from your tank and settle in for the long journey home. With thrusters set to active, the moon dust beneath your starship billows and blocks the window's view. You are pushed further into your seat as you begin your exit from the moon's atmosphere. 
Once the dust clears, before you stands nothing but the big blue pale dot where you hope to once again splash in the shores of its ocean. That concludes this episode of Planet Sleep. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. I hope it provided you with the rest, sleep, or relaxation you were looking for. If you love Planet Sleep, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, as well as all the other platforms. It really does help us out. But that's it for tonight. I'll see you in our next trip to Planet Sleep. Sleep easy, my friends. <laughs>